Hello, welcome to LitKC. I'm your host, Jason Prue. Today, my guest is Jeanette Powers. Jeanette is a poet, a novelist, a visual artist, a community organizer, a raconteur, a prankster, an all-around hard-working woman. Jeanette and I talk about plant energy and heavy metal music. We talk about the Osage arts community. And we talk about things going quite wrong before they can get better and get right. How's that for an uncomfortable pause? Here she is, Jeanette Powers. Just getting old, and I don't like it very much. I had my knee feel twisty when I was walking around, and I was like, oh my gosh, people's knees go. My knee's not allowed to go. Not yet. I gave it like a really loving conversation about how it was young and strong. It's just like, <laughs> keep me in the river, keep me in the river. <sighs> and then I thought, oh, if I just kayak, you don't really need your knees that much <laughs> need any stability <laughs> well that's what the knees serve there for sure what's uh what's your schedule like this week what have you been up to man it has i came in friday the 13th for spring informal they've spent five well actually they had donated five thousand dollars worth of live flowers oh that was at uh, niche friday night yeah, yeah. Well, it was actually the whole venue oh, they the took whole three, they had uh the main stage the niche stage and the patio Wow. As a third stage. They like to do that and have three things going at once. And the whole place smelled of fantastic gardenias and all these things. And this um, botanical artist had made an entire wall of live flowers. And it was 11 feet by 4 feet, I would say. 11 feet long, 4 feet high. And it masked the, um, the stereo speakers that they brought in for the electronic music. And so I kept thinking about the Mythbusters because there was that episode of Do Plants Grow Better yeah, to was, Music? Right. And I don't know if you remember the result. Well, first of all, they declared the results inconclusive on that episode because they were so upset about the things they learned about plants, they couldn't process that their data was right. Because two things. They grow way better to one kind of music, heavy metal. No kidding. They grow better to any kind of music versus silence. But when you put on like serious Black Forest German death metal, the plants kicked it up a real notch. So what we know are plants are party people. Yeah. Headbangers. But also they recreated these experiments where they hooked up plants to lie detector tests. And then they would have people come in and just only think very loving thoughts about the plants. Like, oh, I want to nurture you. I want you to grow. You're going to be strong and good. And they would just be like, the, what would be the truth on the lie detector test result? And then they had other people come in and think, I'm going to cut you. I'm going to burn you. And the plants reacted. And everyone should watch this episode because these scientists go off their rockers. So what are they supposing? Chemical signifiers that you're giving off as you're having these thoughts? I can't remember their the plants pick feelings. Up on. They were just like, we need to repeat these experiments. I don't remember them giving any kind of ideas. But I would say energy, we trans... Factual... Fact. De Broglie waves. We transmit 
energy waves every second of our existence, so does every piece of matter in existence. It just as a fact. De Broglie waves. And we know because how our phones work and how computers work, energy carries information. Period. Yeah. It does. The That revelation is what gave us the entire internet revolution. And computers and so much more. And so to me, it's just as simple as that, is that our energy carries information, which we can read, and science doesn't know how yet, probably just because they haven't actually explored it. Yeah, they'll just give it enough time. Yeah. They'll, they'll figure it out. I'm just curious about the, the plants picking up on that. Well, they're It does making. make sense. I mean, they are, you know, if you think about most plants are, especially trees, it's, it's a slow life. They've got to have a way to communicate in a mm-hmm. forest. It's got to be chemical communications that are just put out there sometime yeah that's a really interesting was that well attended the whole niche event oh where people yeah. go crazy it was really yeah. nice the niche was absolutely packed lena lena fornia was in from california amazing set and then actually the it was a local group that really blew my socks off the most called the black creatures and this woman what person named jade bohm and a fellow named Xavier, I didn't catch his last name, but their band name is the Black Creatures. That was one of the best shows I've seen in a long, and long local? time. And they're local. Oh, cool. Yeah, they're kind of new, actually. And just knocked everybody's socks off. What kind of music? Well, it's electronic music. Yep. And so Xavier's pumping some beats. And they're all, you know, it's not the kind of mixed stuff. It's all hand right. done in his case, because both exist there. And then Jade got out in front of the sound system and was singing blues style, kind of. You know, it was kind of this old school storytelling blues style of singing. And funny, and she just could dance, and she was interacting with the crowd so much. I mean, that crowd was falling to her feet with love. That is cool. It was awesome. That's really cool. What do you love about this city? Hmm. Because you just left. But you uh, left for good reasons. Yeah. It wasn't like you were sick of KC. It was just like, I'm going to take some time for me and yeah. put you in a good spot to do what you want to do down the road. But what do you like yeah. about KC? You're KC born and bred. That's right. I grew up in Wyandotte County and then spent a little time in Lee Summit at high school. And then the day I graduated high school, moved to the city proper. Never went back. And I, you know, it's what I love about Kansas City has changed at different times. But what I think it is right now is that. There is room for every dream in Kansas City. If you have a dream, there's room for you to build it in Kansas City and a support system and people who are going to be excited about it and people who are doing wild, creative things. And it's growing in all these ways all the time. And also I find that the arts communities are not entrenched. Some are maybe, but for the most part, they're not entrenched in a system. They're really looking to branch out. And we as literature people know that five years ago, there was no funding in the grants world, in the arts grants world, for poetry or literature. And through those big organizations, seeing, oh my gosh, there's actually a wonderful literary scene here. And reaching out and listening and being investigative and wanting to expand what they do, and being interested in all of the arts, now we're getting all kinds of heckin' grants and partnerships with the arts organizations as writers. And I just see that, I always 
encourage the comedians to do the same. I think comedy is an art that should be elevated and brought into that world as well. And I just think there's room for every dream to happen here. Yeah, I think that's a big difference than, I would say, you know, when I was mid to late 90s, you know, that was my early early 20s, and mostly what I knew about Kansas City's creative community was the visual arts scene mm-hmm. or bands. Right. It was great in the 90s it for was. bands. There was great music here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we have Derek Hess coming to the bar. Oh, no. Yeah, he did all the season to risk posters yeah. back in the 90s. Great, famous visual artist. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, he's made a movie, and he's showing it at the bar. <laughs> no I know. Kidding. Next month. I think it's like May 25th or something. So how does that work for you? living in Bell and still being affiliated with so much going on here. What, how well, are you managing I, your time? I run the booking and promotions only at the bar now. I used to be the GM and bookings and promotion. That's a 50-hour-a-week job, minimum. Yeah. The booking and promotions is a 10-hour-a-week job. And most of that you're able to do via remote. Like, it's like, yeah. you know, you're just talking yeah. to people, right, and trying to get logistics right. worked out. Right. And I have such an amazing crew and amazing staff, and they all know how to do the whole thing. They all are invested. It's artist-run, artist-driven. And so they just immediately, they just walk in and they know how to get everything done instantly. And I drive back for whatever events I want to be at, like Peter with Intelligent Sounds floral event. And um, just whatever is going on that I want to see, I just pop in for. And sometimes an event really needs me to be there for this reason or that. And so I just pop in. It's three and a half hours. It's not that big a deal. Seems like a big, a big deal. That's a long drive to me. <laughs> well, you know what's cool? <laughs> I have been making the drive because of other reasons lately. Like this week, I'm here from Friday to Thursday. Yeah. So that's too much to ask somebody's car or something. but um, Or pay for Ubers. But it cost me $60 in gas to get from Kansas City to Bell and back. So yep. a round trip, 60 bucks in gas. It's also 60 bucks to take the train. So from here on out... For the one-off things, I'm just going to take the train. Yeah, that's sweet. And then that's reading time, it's writing time, it's look out the window and enjoy your lifetime. And it's just maybe a mile from Union Station to the bar. Where uh, where does the train drop off? Union near Station. Bell? Oh, Jeff City. Oh, right on. Yeah. So that's that, 30 minutes? 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, that's really nice. I, uh, I don't think people understand enough about how sweet that train is it is they call it the river runner it goes to st louis yeah and it's everything and even the i don't remember what the name of the other one is that runs um you can take the one from st louis up to chicago but mm-hmm. you, there used to be and i think they're getting rid of it if they haven't already a direct from kc to chicago and back uh, but that hmm. is a fan we used to take the kids up yeah and, and there's one that goes i think it's called the southwest express or something it goes from Casey to L.A. through a bunch of towns, obviously. Yeah, I think it goes through Albuquerque. Albuquerque's where I went. And on that train, they have the observation uh, cart. Oh, whatever. yeah, just the all-glass-windowed you know I mean? one? Where it's all-glass. Oh, yeah, you can't, the, re- the listeners can't see my hand gestures. <laughs> I use my body language a lot. so. <laughs> but, yeah, where it's the all-glass ceiling. And I'll tell you what, the middle of nowhere, that train, the middle of the night, it is special. Yeah, mm. it's it's really neat. I have encouraged everyone to just take a trip to Herman or go to St. Mm-hmm. Louis for the weekend mm-hmm. on the train. Uh, if you can and you have the time, go to Chicago because that's a really sweet run too. And it's faster than driving. Yeah. You know, it's a seven-hour 
train ride versus a nine-hour car Nine, because I'm going to Chicago and Cleveland this weekend, so I just looked at those Google Maps. Are you going up there to read? Yeah, Iris Applequist and I are going to the Cleft Crisis Festival in Cleveland, which is an annual uh, poetry month thing from Cleft Jaw Press and Crisis Chronicles Press, which is our good friend John Burroughs, yeah. who's here all the time. So we're really excited. We actually feature on Friday and Saturday, so. Oh, damn. Yeah. So that's in that's in Cleveland? Yeah. And then um, you're stopping in Chicago to do some stuff, too? Well, we're leaving Thursday, so Thursday night we'll just stay in Chicago with some friends. Cool. Just, you know, stop over, because it's 12 hours to Cleveland, and then just make the rest of the jaunt in the morning. Well, yeah. That's going to be nice. Are you going to have a pretty busy summer, then? Well, I had carved out all of my July for this residency in the Berkshires I wanted, but I didn't get it. So I was just looking. My June is very full. My May is very full. My June is full. And my July is wide open. And then my September and October are full. Yeah. So August has got, I think, one or two things. Not much right now, though. What are your plans as far as producing things this, this summer? If you're going to be traveling all that time. Well, there won't be that much traveling. Oh, it won't be that bad. Really, um, a little bit, but um, I'm writing a poetry book right now, tentatively called "Drop Everything," because I'm in the process of giving up all of my worldly goods, and so drop everything. <laughs> and that's actually I cry every day because you don't realize those objects that you love them until you're giving them up yeah. and then you're just like what's going on are you giving them up in an intentional way or are you just literally dropping them in places or are you finding well, homes for things that you know somebody might want i have found homes for some things ryan wilkes has a installation piece at the downtown library right now called here where you wish yeah it's cool and so i took i have the i mean my objects are maybe silly to other people i have a lot of rocks i've drug out of the creek over the years <laughs> <laughs> they're not amethyst or quartz or polished just or anything. Rock. They're just rocks. But every one of them, I'm like, this is the rock that I picked up the day that I got my dog. This is the rock that told me that my whole heart was healed. <laughs> this is the rock I fell through that day when I wondered how anything could be perfect. And here was a circle. Just like silly. And I mean, and beautiful. But so this rock and it's the, oh my God, it was the welcome back rock. The first rock. I think of the creek as, or the river as being generous yeah. and it'll give me gifts and well, all the land really gives me gifts and it's different and it's not always something you can put in your pocket and carry away. But especially in Bell, the creek and the river almost always give me these rocks. And so I'm walking along, I'm running the creek. It's my first day back in the farm. And when I say run the creek, what I mean by that is that you just struggle through all the green briar and spider webs and mud and rock and climb through these things. Because the creek is not like easy access. It's not cultivated or yeah. manicured. It's a hot mess. And I just love walking along and you, it's just a struggle. And when I'm with the creek a lot, I actually will do a little bit of manicuring of it, <laughs> like laying rocks here and there. And then, then I feel like that's your duty as <laughs> I'm living with you. Yes. I'm going to help take care of you, whether or not the creek needs it or not. One time, Ron, Robert and I were running this creek out at Unity Village. Great creek to run. I mean, that is an A-plus creek to run. And uh, 
we had gone off of the creek and then deep into these woods and you, uh, there's no paths. I mean, we're just struggling through and we're kind of lost and we find this other creek and we're like, what's happening here? We didn't know there was a second creek. And so, we, and it's inaccessible. It's way too deep. It's like a gully more oh, than yeah. a creek even. And so we're walking this ridge and we're just like tearing through all of this stuff. You know, you're getting scratches on your face the whole nine. And then we find our creek. And so we're just, we choose the way that we think we need to go to get back. And we're coming along and we know where we went into the creek. And we're always off path, right? We're not on a path anywhere. There's not like a signpost that right, says, right. here's where you get access to the creek to run. And so we get back. We're running along and we're looking for this place where we came in because we know what it looks like. But we think we're going to come up on it, right? And actually we came up from behind it. So we don't realize this is happening. Yeah, it's a common... common And it looks very different from one angle than the other. And from coming or going. And so as we're walking, I look down and I go, Robert! I've seen this rock before. And he looks at me. It's just like this little... Red rock. I mean, it's absolutely nothing special. It's not like a boulder, you know, it's not like an Easter Island sculpture. He just looks at me and he goes, really? That rock? And I said, yeah, I saw this rock before. And so then we turn and face the other way. So now it's the coming instead of the going. And I said, yeah, there's the, there's the tree we jumped over. And he goes, God damn it. You did see that rock, but that's because I love rocks. So every one of them is my friend. So, long story short, that's where my owl eye return to Bell Rock is. It's is in Ryan's, Ryan's installation. altar Ryan's installation. And I have to say, I spent like 10 minutes sulking after I left it. Did you like kind of pace around a little bit like, do I really want to do this? I did. And then I looked through all my bags. I was like, well, there's a pen and there's a janky book I haven't finished reading and there's my computer charger. Because <laughs> you're not going to leave your computer, right? That's just ridiculous. Can get another charger. <laughs> but I'm like, the charger, I'm really seriously considering. <laughs> and then I was like, no, you brought this rock here for this purpose. But the rest of all of the stuff is because at the residency, they built a whole new house. It's completely empty and it needs furnished. So all of my stuff went to furnish it. All of my art, and that doesn't mean art I created, but art I own and have collected. collected yeah is all on the walls, every piece. And there's two curio cabinets built into the walls of the house. They're, you know, floor to ceiling. Yep. They're kind of deep and cool. And so all of my personal artifacts, family history, stuff I've been carrying around since I'm four years old, are beautifully arranged in these. And they've got, you know, the glass cabinets that open. And then I have these two bookcases that aren't really bookcases. They're kind of more like display cases. But anyways... So they're against one wall, and that's the rest of the stuff. All my sketchbooks, every poetry book I've ever written. Or, like, you know, when you handwrite yeah. in the collect, not published. Which is a big stack of stuff. Both of those. So everything's there. And now it has a home. My objects have a home. And I call it the Jeanette Museum. <laughs> Do you think as residents come in and out that they will take and give back? Oh, I very hope. And just start hope. switching things around? I hope. And I also hope that a resident like goes through those sketchbooks or goes through those poetry books and uses them as a jumping oh, yeah. off point and a, a long distance collaboration with a total stranger. That would be cool. That would be way cool. It would be cool. 
That would be way cool. So what's the what's the the Bell Kansas City connection? How did I mean a lot of Jason Reberg is mm-hmm. now down there. You're mm-hmm. there. How did all that get started? So first, I guess to say Osage Arts Community yeah. is an artist in residency program in the northern Ozarks on 190 acres of pristine Ozark wilderness on the Gasconade River. And then they have a bunch of places in town, too. So they've got the farm, and then they've got the town. And for 15 years, they've been providing places for artists to create residencies. And I think they can fit like 9 to 15 artists at a given time. I haven't actually counted, but somewhere in that realm. And so then this poet who has traveled forever and has deep connections to many places, Kansas City amongst them, John Dorsey, uh, ended up out there. And so he started bringing Kansas City poets and many other places also to Bell. Well, Kansas City and Bell are so close to each other, really, that it just developed this wonderful relationship. So now you have a lot of Kansas City artists going there right now. Jeff Hogue, Jason Vaughn, Zofia McDougall are all out there at the Rocklayer Residency, which I organized as a nine-day residency for FEMS from Kansas City specifically. Uh, is going to have M.G. Salazar, Samantha Slupsky confirmed, and hopefully a couple more that I'm working with right now. And so it's just so close. It's really easy to bring the KC people out for a minute or a couple years, and there you go. Yeah, I think that what they're doing on there is really neat. And it's, I mean, it's tucked away in the middle of nowhere, but I feel what they're trying to do and what small-town America could really take a lead if the type of people that run Osage Arts if more of those benefactors realize, look, trying to do this in a, in a city, your, your dollar goes so much further. Mm, true. If you step outside a few hours mm-hmm. and then bring the, you know, the concentration of creatives, mm-hmm. they're there, bring them out. Yes. And, you know, because I know that Osage Arts is also doing a lot with the communities there yes. as far as library work and, mm-hmm. you know, teaching arts in the schools because they can't afford art teachers exactly so they don't get arts programming in the schools there yeah um i'm teaching uh well morgan thomas is an artist out of florida who's there right now who's developed a continuing education creative writing program that meets every thursday and i love morgan and their work we very much share the same kind of perspective about the small town community which is i'm not interested in going to bell and just being isolated which some people are, because it's great. Yeah, I think it's there's great. a place for that. Yeah, I do. Oh, yeah, I'm not against that at all. But I love community and b- community building. And so Morgan just started this, and these people are hot to write. They love it. They're so thoughtful. They have such great ideas, and they're just delighted because this is something they've never tried before. So I'm continuing on with Morgan's work that they began and doing a weekly adult creative writing class yeah Yeah. and then in addition with all the teaching and all the things and i really think of small towns as another marginalized community they don't have access to all the resources that a city does there was a sketch on saturday night live where when during the election where it was comparing marginalized inner city communities and marginalized small town communities and what they shared, I mean, it was hilarious the way they pulled it yeah. off. Yeah, but I mean, it was like absolutely. And yeah. When someone brings it to your perspective that way, you realize you know it's 
there was a there's a war on poor people that right. uh, that's really the heart of all of this. Yes. And I don't know how we get around this late stage capitalist. Mm. You know, you mentioned to me on Saturday night that the slowness that you've experienced since you moved has been revelatory. Mm. <clears throat> and I think a lot of that just has to be, you know, you're spending a lot more time by yourself. But there's no... The urgency for getting here or there it has really been... You've cut that out of your life for the right. time being. Yeah. You know? um, and your project to get rid of everything just kind of... I don't want to say get rid of everything, but you're lightening your load yeah. to make it easier yeah. for you to travel around. And, you know, I think that speaks a lot to where there's a lot of anxiety in this. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the writers I talk to, they have this sense of anxiousness about them mm-hmm. and about the world. Um, and I don't think it's isolated to, I think everybody's feeling it. Well, I have so many theories about this. And my favorite, one I think is most right, is because we are driven by our genetics, period. That's what builds us. We're built of our DNA. We're built of that code. That code was developed over hundreds of thousands of years of essentially a pretty stable situation in terms of hunter, gather, starlight, fire, sleep, fuck, are we allowed to say curse words on your podcast? Yeah, you should okay. curse frequently. <laughs> Feed, fight, fuck, right? There it is. Boom. Stars, wheeling. And even, you know, from 100,000 years ago, pre-fire, pre-language, the human experience was very similar to what it was in the Middle Ages or before the Industrial Revolution. It became more complicated, but you were still ruled by the natural elements and there was no clock, and there was no time, and there was no meet at 5 o'clock, and there was no clock in and clock out, or consume or buy. There just wasn't a collection of objects, because there weren't objects to collect. Particularly, people would have, like, blankets that they passed down and made, clothes that they passed down and made. Nothing would be thrown away. Everything would be used. And so there's hundreds of thousands of years of that being our biological imperative. And from my perspective, in a blip, 1880, you're talking 140 years, everything is so radically changed and we're moving so fast at every moment and that you know, need for oil or sugar that the ancient person would feel. And so you have to go hunt and find a fruit or you have to take down a fatty animal and it's a very rare thing it's a thing that you have um have rituals about and is a once a year thing and and so of course you gorge yourself on that but now it's available everywhere every corner and your body craves it so much because it was a rare commodity and then you think of this uh smoking tobacco smoking marijuana drinking those 500 years ago were parts of rites of passage, were parts of ceremonial activities. They were very rare. And so they were very special. And those things that can cause a lot of harm to the body physically didn't get a chance to because they were very rare. 
But capitalism comes around and takes these ceremonial objects and items and practices and turns them into a commodity. And then what was rare and coveted becomes this addiction. And so we're wrapped up in these addictions because we can have too much access to everything. And I don't think we're just addicted to things like smoking cigarettes or booze, but also the internet and your phone and people's approval and likes and feelings of self-worth through your corporate productivity are all addictions too. And that causes anxiety because it's just not in our nature. Well, it's ultimately not that fulfilling either. I mean, that's what this... What we have gained by assenting to this capitalist society is you know, we, we live longer, we live comfortably is really what I think it all boils down to. It's We live more comfortably now, but I don't know that we live any, and this is almost a moral judgment, but I don't think we live any better. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a lot, there, there's a lot of great things I think about the way society is trending, um, health. Yeah. I really believe that we have the means to devote resources to making people feel better if we don't, if we can get rid of that better urge to fleece them for right all these other diseases. You know, it's, I feel like there's a, the anxiousness and the, the desire to, to find some sort of, relative meaning in anything that you're doing um, is so elusive in a society where the, the imperative is to buy, 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 buy. Right. And your worth is determined by that in it, so many ways. It, it's really, I don't know how we break that cycle. Yeah. Like, it's still function in society as a whole. Yeah. You know, it's not like you can't go off and live on a mountain and separate yourself, but how do you embody those values from within so that you can make those changes that need to happen on a wider scale. You know? Well, I'll tell you, I was a bright teenager in very few ways, but one was looking, I looked at the world and I felt there was a sickness and I said, this can only be changed by a philosophical paradigm shift. Yeah. We have to fundamentally alter what we want in order for, let's say, the end of the Holocaust against black people in America. Because that's not on purpose. And I call it that, and that's a harsh word. Because I want people to look at it in a new light. I want people to look at it as this undercurrent of culturally systematic fear that we have been indoctrinated against our will by, and not on purpose. Nobody's doing this on purpose. It's just that engine of capitalism says, what sells, what sells, what sells? Fear sells, fear sells, fear sells. And fear bonding is so real. When people share the same fear, they're bonded, and we're pack animals, so you add that into it. And there is a fear of the other in every society that's ever been. And in America right now, a lot of that is people of color against white people. And it's all so subtle and indoctrinated. And nobody wants to be that, and everybody is it to some degree. Sure. And it's hard to see that in yourself and know that you are something you don't want to be. And then there's cognitive dissonance about that. 
And so we have to have a philosophical shift and we have to swallow the bitter pill that we act in our own self-destruction without realizing it. Do you think that is, that's why we're, we're at politically? Do you yeah. think that this election went the way it did because of that, that la I'm going to call it a death row because I really think the majority of people do not want things to be this way. Yes. I, I believe that with all my heart. Me too. I see it in everybody around me. Mm -hmm. A lot of that. I'm really lucky that right. way. I feel like we are on a shift and Trump had to win this election so that people could see this is not at all what we wanted. And right. I think if he would not have won and Hillary would have won, it would have been, there would have been blood on the streets instead of just people protesting for yeah. their rights. That's interesting. You know, it's a shitty thing to have to sit through, but I feel like sometimes you got to pull that Band-Aid off to expose yeah. Yeah. that rawness and really let it heal. I'm feeling what you're saying there and a part I want to add to it is, you know, when the Trump thing, when the Trump lead up to the election was going, the campaign was running, I was actually in Europe. And so I was watching my friends and family from a distance. And I think that gave me an interesting perspective. And what it was, and I told everybody, I said, Trump's going to win. I can see it a mile away. And everybody, anywhere from, oh, you're silly to you're an idiot. Heard it, heard it all, but nobody would agree with me. Well, they called me. you idiot, but I would have never guessed in a yeah. million years that it went that way. But from my perspective, this is what I saw. People stopped talking to one another who disagreed with one another. And I did it with my own family. My family all went on the Trump side, and instead of saying, hey, let's have a really difficult conversation about this, let's really talk about this, um... Where do you stand? What are your ethics? What are your principles? These aren't normal questions in a family anyways. Uh, we just all went blindfolds on. They didn't ask me anything. I didn't ask them anything. And we just kind of mindlessly went along. And then as it's gotten worse and worse, and especially our queer friends and our people of color friends have felt more and more unsafe in the yeah. modern world, then there becomes this real tension and families are breaking up over this entire issue. And where I see what you're saying is that it was lucky because since it happened so fast, our reaction was more protest and less violence. And I think it had the opposite happen. Had Hillary won, it would have been violence straight out of the gate. Hmm. Because do you think it would have been that middle America being... Wow. I totally do. I think are the back. people that were supporting Trump, had he mm. not won, they would have thought it was rigged and they would have been mm. in the streets with guns galore. Wow. And people would have got hurt bad. Wow. Like, bad, bad. Not that people aren't getting hurt now by all this bullshit, but I mean, you know, I think it just would have been a lot more true, unadulterated violence. Yeah. I think they were to that boiling point. Yeah. Um, and on the flip side, it's, you know, my therapist once said to me, what was the good thing about this traumatic event that happened? And I was so angry. Yeah. Nothing like, good! Nothing. It all sucked balls. But she was right. Damn her! The good thing was this, that, and that. So the good thing about Trump getting elected is now that not talking is not an option. And Here's what more discussion. It is more discussion. You've got Me Too that was mm -hmm. inspired by all of this. Black Lives Matter was happening mm -hmm. before this, but I think it's people realize that that's not going away. Yeah, dreamers. And what's really interesting, I think, in the past few weeks are these teachers. That's mm -hmm. happening in red states. Mm -hmm. And they realize, hey, there's nobody but Republicans 
in yeah. office. Who's responsible for this shit? Yeah. It's the people the that students. you voted for. And the students. Yeah, the Parkland yeah. guys. And the DACA fighters. Yep. I mean, all of that, I just... I gotta have a bright side to this mess. Yeah. <laughs> and that makes me feel good to see people... That's mine, too. ...just sticking up for one another. And feeling like they are at liberty to speak their truth. And they have to. And they are. And it's it matters so much. You know... So I don't know how we got on that topic or what we were talking about. Uh, maybe something in Bell, but paradigm shifts. Maybe that was it. Where, um, where are you hanging out online? I know you're trying to limit your um, internet access, but yeah. you still have a website that you're on, right? I have JeanettePowers.com. Do you keep I it keep up to date with shows and stuff? I right. sure. I absolutely. My calendar on that is my personal calendar, so it's all the things. Plus all of my holidays I've invented. So come celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at it and I was like, oh, okay. Next up is my son's birthday, Casavanderama. <laughs> His name's Casavander. So Casavanderama. And then um, July 9th is Fuck All Abusive Fucks Day. So I know everybody's going to be out there to That's celebrate right. with me That's on that fireworks one. Fireworks for sure. And uh, August is Puppy Moss, like Christmas, but Puppy Moss. That's my dog's birthday, so we're going to have a dog park party. And then the best one is Bonfire Day. Yeah, that sounds like a good one. Yeah, because it's my ber- my birthday, actually, but I call it Bonfire Day. I share it with two other people who are amazing, Ash Anders, M.G. Salazar. And so we're just going to have the biggest bonfire in the world. That yeah. is awesome. Yeah. Tell me about what books are coming out. Uh, Gasconade by Night Ballet Press is a book of poems I wrote, and it came out last weekend. So, what was that? April 18th? 15th? Yeah. 14th? Yep, 13th, 14th, 15th, yep. Yeah, so that just came out. And that's the only book I have on the table right now because I've been writing the novellas. Right. And they're just not ready to shop. Excellent. And then you're traveling quite a bit this summer. Mm -hmm. You'll be in Bell. You'll be in Kansas City. Mm -hmm. And follow me on Instagram at, um, at novel underscore cliche. Or you can just look up my name, Jeanette Powers. My name's on all of it, too. But Novel Cliché. And then I started one for my visual art, and I've really been getting back into painting since I've been in Bell. I've really been enjoying watching that, actually. You're quite a talented visual artist, and I oh, knew that, you. but I've seen all these sketches. Like, mm. yeah, fantastic. Yeah, that's at Draw With Your Eyes Closed. And I've been posting... I have. I started doing sketchbooks in 2003, I think, and I'm now at 41. And I'm 41 years old. So that's cool. Well, look, before I let you go, I have to tell you, you are one of the most inspirational people that I've met in my whole life. Oh, thank you. Uh, your ethic and your inclusiveness um, are an inspiration to me. And I know anybody that I talk to about you, Jeanette, people glow. Oh, thank um, you. You know, you mean a lot to a lot of people. So, thank you for taking time to chat with me, yeah, number one, you. but just thanks for being a friend, too. Thanks. Cheers. Right back at you. That was Jeanette Powers, and that was a hell of a conversation. You can find Jeanette online at JeanettePowers.com. That's J-E-A-N-E-T-T-E, powers.com. Buy one of her books. You'll enjoy it. Go see her perform live. You'll enjoy it. Make friends with her on Facebook. She's a good friend. She's a good person to know if you're in Kansas City and uh, and writing. 
just a good person to know in general. I want to thank Jeanette for her time. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank Is You Is or Is You Ain't for the music. I want to thank Uncomfortable Pauses for always being there when I need them. <laughs>